Jen, Andre, it's been some time. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Jenny? Hello. Happy, you there? You with us? <laughs> I'm with us. I'm with us. I'm ready to take a little trip around the world this episode. Jen just took a trip, actually. Jen was not supposed to do the show and then um, decided to come back early from the door for, um, to present with us. <laughs> Jen? I have some Easter eggs. I missed the film festival. I'm ready to talk about Stanley Tucci. Mm. And we're also talking about Michelle Pfeiffer's new movie. But more importantly, we're joined by... <gasps> Our dear friend, film curator, critic, Luke Goodsell, who is going to be talking at length in Spotlight about an event that he's putting on at the AGNSW. Hello, Luke. Welcome. Hello. Hello, Jen. Hello, Andre. Um, we'll dive into the show in a hot tick, but real quick, I want to ask Luke, you have an FBI connection, Uh-oh. is that right? From the past? Uh, very vaguely. I did. I appeared on a show with Kate Jinks. Probably 10 years ago now, so way back. Yeah, I did, uh, Kajings had a film show, I believe it was called The Picture Show, mm-hmm. and I did a soundtrack segment, um, which was weekly. So I just came on and played like a bunch of tunes from you know, a random soundtrack that I picked. So. <laughs> this pre- is the first time I've been back in this studio since, I think, 2011. So, Whoa. Yeah. That's definitely 10 years ago. That's, that's a long a time ago. That's a whole decade. That's a whole generation ago. Right? Whoa, the precursor to Movies, Movies, Movies. End of the World 2012. Well, Luke, welcome. Welcome. Back. Welcome back. back. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Welcoming myself here. Shall we dip into some movie news? Absolutely. Let's do it. Hit that sting. Hit the sting. That's gossip. Movie news. That's gossip. In truly American fuck yeah news, a month ago it was announced that Tori Peters' novel Detransition Baby, there's a comma in between there, was picked up by Grey's Anatomy showrunners Joan Rader and Tony Phelan to series, and we got a little trailer drop also of the A24 film Zola featuring Mickey Blanco's My Nene, which I think is having a bit of a paper planes moment. Mm-hmm. Andre doesn't agree, but I think it's having a paper planes moment. I think My Nene is going to be in a few more trailers. So this is definitely our kind of... Um film twitter news this is very film twitter news this is very jeremy o'harris is like a tiktok roundup for those who want to know more detransition baby is kind of like the hot it pulp book at the moment written by a trans author which has been described as like a trans sex in the city um it's very internal monologue the whole lot of it so it's gonna be interesting to see how they translate that to the screen totally and i'm also excited by the people who show ran gray's anatomy but not Shonda Rhimes. Yeah. Getting some glory. I hope they don't, like, fuck it up in a, like, chaos walking kind of way where they get Charlie Kaufman to write Detransition Baby for the screen and then just, like, piss him off. And and then awkwardly have Guillermo del Toro come in at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Let's not have that for Detransition Baby. Oh, my gosh. Mayor of Portland, Carl McLaughlin, has joined the bitch squad complaining about (laughs) Dune going to streaming services like we didn't just go through a pandemic. I mean, come on, these like A-listers who are complaining about the Warner Brothers deal, where basically all these blockbusters are going to streaming the same day that they hit the cinemas, because it's ruining the experience. I'm going to throw to Luke right now, because I feel like you'd have an opinion oh. about these complainers who are crying because all these big, big, big movies are going to small screens. Do you care about that, or 
uh, to, I don't care about the complaints. I mean, I care about Kyle. I love Kyle. But I mean, it's, 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 I think it's, it's, it's this. I mean, it's, it's just a reality. As you say, we've been through a pandemic. It's really on the low rung of issues for people to, to worry about at the moment. Mm. People were saying that it like was going to kill the sequels, and that's why they were wor- worried about it. Like that it wouldn't have momentum to have the sequels happen. But I feel the opposite. I feel like it's going to get more people to watch it. I also feel like there's a disconnect between the reality of who watches these movies and who the filmmakers are, who are these, like, age-old auteurs who believe in, like, cinema as going to a theatre, but Mm. really a lot of these people who watch these movies are fine to download them and watch them on a screen at home. Well, you can't really pick your audience, right? You try and, like, have an idea of who they're going to be, but when you find out who they are, you can't really try and change that. Mm, So true. No, and I mean, it's, it's... I don't think it's a death rattle for the theatrical experience, but I think that, you know, the reality is the audience viewing as you say you can't choose who your audience is and the audience's habits have changed and and that's inexorable that's that's something that's that's happening and i think that you know there just has to be a a, a change in in terms of you know how the films are made or how they're distributed what about as like a very clunky segue into our James Cameron Avatar news do we think that the new <laughs> avatar perfect. do you think the new avatar movies are going to be thrown onto someone's iPod or are they going to only get a special in cinema release. No one actually cares. That's the takeaway from the whole An iPod would be perfect, though, wouldn't it? Because it's so 2009. You know, yeah. Actually... Then you could watch the tiny, tiny, tiny screen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining you watching Avatar 2 with, like, 3D glasses I on. I watched, and you would love this, I watched Days of Heaven, the Terrence Malick film, mm-hmm. on the iPod video screen for the first time, like, on a plane. And That's like, cute. This is really great. I That's had a amazing. similar experience. I'm sure he would love that. I had a similar experience. Um, maybe I was 13, and I had an iPod Touch, and I saved up the Wi-Fi from my home and, like, press pause on the YouTube video of Apocalypto, Mel Gibson's Mayan action film, and then watch it on a car trip on this tiny little iPod Touch. Who can relate to that? (laughs) Anyone? Actually, truly. Truly. I remember um, my dad would always bring on his, like, pre-iPhone smartphone all the Looney Tune movies to, like appease my brother and I if we would get really rowdy at a dinner trip. Not Space Jam. No. Um, I think they're just going to build new cinemas for James Cameron. I think the new thing is going to be like... James Cameron. I love James Cameron. I love James Cameron. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in James Cameron news. (laughs) In James James Cameron news. It reminds me of James Gum from Silence of the Lambs, but James Cameron is somehow... What's James Gum from Silence of the Lambs? Buffalo Bill, I think. That's Andre, it's you. That's famously, that's me. yeah. I like James James Cameron. Though. Well, James Cameron just appeared on Wait for It Marianne Williamson's oh, podcast to talk about writing the Avatar sequels, and apparently he was so frustrated because he wanted to fixate on why the original was so successful as the biggest blockbuster boom film when it came out that the new writers were wanting to create new ideas and come up with new storylines and he threatened to fire them unless they like returned to the original film and really got to the core of what made it tick before coming up with new ideas. Damn. Damn. Yeah. Which just sounds like how a sequel is made, really. I mean, truly. <laughs> <laughs> what we're going to do, guys, is we're going to copy the first movie. Yeah, literally. <laughs> we're going to copy it and then put it on a streaming service. <laughs> yeah, put it on iPods. When everything collapses in a James Cameron-esque Terminator way and the only thing that's on, you know, able to work is, is our iPods, assuming Whoa. the batteries work. I wonder if there's going to be like a throwback to iPod culture in the same way that people like love going to the drive-in and people are going to be encouraged to see films on smaller devices. Totally. 
Speaking of shows that you can watch on a smaller device, when planes are back, you're going to want to watch Stanley Tucci Searching for Italy. Um, and to honour the review that we're about to share and collaborate on, we're going to play Roman Holiday by Nicki Minaj. Are, this, we, are we serious? Yeah, happy Easter this is actually happening. Yeah. This needs a language warning. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on Movies, Movies, Movies with uh, Take Two with a very special guest, uh, Luke Goodsell, in the room. You're an FBI. Take your medication, Roman. Take a short vacation, Roman. You'll be okay. Bit of Nicki Minaj for your morning. Roman Holiday going out to a very special review we've got by uh, the lovely Miss Jen here on Movies, Movies, Movies. Jen, before we play The Little Sting, you know what? I'm going to just play The Sting first. Let's do that. That makes sense. Take two. Now you know what's going on. It's time for take two here on Movies, Movies, Movies on Mornings. Jen, if you had to give a little brief, like, what should we expect before we go into your review? We're on, like, seasonal dysphoria. It's the ersatz spring of the north in the movie calendar, and we're getting Roman Holiday, Stanley Tucci. All right, here we go. I'm an actor, writer, director, and I broke the internet with a single cocktail. I'm Stanley Tucci, and I'm bringing the amazing food and culture of Italy to CNN. Stanley Tucci, searching for Italy. I'm Stanley Tucci. I'm traveling across Italy to discover how the food is as unique as the people and their past. Oh my God. So, um... <laughs> I love these experimental CNN trailers. <laughs> Did you break the internet with a cocktail recipe, Stanley Tucci? That's what I heard. Was... It's hard for me not to heavy breathe into the mic as soon as I hear his voice. Oh, his gosh. Instagram and, and and his partner's Instagram have blown up like in the last in during the pandemic. That's probably what really what it was. how he got funded. Oh my gosh! Interesting. All right. Take it away. So on my April 2021, uh, like a waning moon lunar calendar, with Stanley Tucci's. Uh, Searching for Italy, he's Italian on both sides, and this CNN-funded, sunset-toned episode of Emily Blunt's sister's husband calling butter and pasta fabulous all over Italy is kind of what you need. It's visual medicine. It, the dads in Greta Gerwig movies have nothing on Tucci for Gucci, role-modelling daddy exceptionalism serving Chino, Bulge and Turtleneck as he clops cobblestone, giving up, giving, like... I would say he's giving up in the air, George Clooney, like a tightly packed mm, overnight he's handbag. He's giving and giving up. <laughs> <laughs> he's giving and giving up. There's anxious focus pulling, which points to the horror of shooting in Italy during COVID, and they never quite nail the Nigella Lawson shallow focus, like a fairy light ambiance. But I would say the show still feels unexpectedly opposite to whatever you thought COVID core aesthetic TV was going to be. Yeah, there's something about Nigella's reactions to food that point to her genius but I don't think that Stanley has quite nailed how to eat the carbonara and then give like a thoughtful response to it but I do believe he's been to all these places before totally Luke you were nodding your head well I mean full disclosure I only saw the first episode but I, I agree that I think that he's it's so weird because he is a cook as well so he's clearly I feel like he's just going back there to like you know steal more recipes of everybody he is. He totally he hasn't, is. No, I think that he hasn't nailed the reaction shot. It's it's kind of yeah. Mm. Which There's is also twenty episodes, which makes you feel like the crew got there and then thought, 
oh my god, we have to deliver. Like, we can't just have a Roman holiday. We actually have to make a show here. Mm, mm. I find it really uncomfortable to watch shows that we know were shot during the pandemic, but also during Black Lives Matter. Um, and thinking about the actors who have to, like, check the news while they're shooting a show where they're eating, like, parmesan cheese rinds and then see what's happening in America and be like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to Napoli tomorrow. They are always, like, awkwardly referring to class in this show. Like, they're constantly going to, like, what Stanley will call the wrong side of town, which is already a bit of a red flag. (laughs) But then they do kind of cherish, like, Italian food being famous, especially Napoli, for, like, the working class making do with what they can and then that becoming the signature dish, not, like, the fusion. Mm. Um, I hate to be homophobic, but I just feel like sometimes if you're a little bit too clean-cut and you have a cooking show and you waltz on and you haven't got that Anthony Bourdain edge, I'm just like, I don't want to see you cooking, like, these pristine clean meals. Like, I need to hear the edge in your voice and the crackle. Okay, but Andre, what do we love about this show? Well, we love... I mean, personally, I love the emphasis on pasta. Okay. I'm here for that. As, like, a thematic to um, explore and stick to for the duration of a whole season of the show. There is a fab fab-looking carbonara that could convert me. Totally. Yeah. And I think um, maybe just kind of how surprising it is that this show exists. I didn't even know that he was famous for making a cocktail. All right. Shall Tucci we... Table, baby. Tucci Table? Oh, my gosh. Tucci's Table. Apparently there's a cookbook as well. There's, no, there's a series. I think he's written three. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Thank just God you're here. Goes to show a little I know. Thank God you're here. Shall we dip into the next review? Yes, before we do, though, it's a Michelle Pfeiffer movie. I knew I'd make that mistake on air. And you're going to make Meryl Streep the segue, Luke. Are you making... No, you're going to do that. I know. Tucci, Meryl. Oh, yes, yes, we were talking. There's a few jumps. There is a few jumps. There is a connection between the two things we are talking about today. Mm -hmm. But my main connection, not just the fact that they are travel film works, is Luke, who knows a lot about Michelle... Could you maybe give, if you can, if it's possible, just like the log line of Michelle Pfeiffer for people who aren't familiar with her work, such as moi? Well, well I feel like you're a bit familiar. but A little bit. That's, that, that is, that's quite a knock. Uh, I don't know. Michelle Pfeiffer, she has been a leading Hollywood actress, actor for, what, three, four decades? She, she kind of broke out with Grease too, which didn't actually break out as a film. And then there was Scarface, which with her, you know, wonderful eye-rolling turn opposite Al Pacino. And then, of course, the, in the late 80s, she became like a really big star, you know, which is Lee Swig and, you know, Batman Returns, which I think is, as you know, I go on about one of the great performances of all time. And I feel like in, you know, so she was a really huge Hollywood star in, in the 80s and 90s. And I think that in the 21st century, she's kind of, I mean, it was like semi-self-imposed re- retirement, but also the, kind of the drying up of roles for like middle-aged, you know, actors, or female actors. So I think that was, you know, that show, I feel like she's been in the wilderness a little bit, you know, self-imposed wilderness slightly. And the movie that we're going to talk about, French Exit, is really kind of a, a reminder of her greatness and her kind of range as an actress, which I feel is generally has been underrated. I mean, she has been nominated for an Oscar, I think, which mm-hmm. is I th- maybe The Age of Innocence, Martin Scorsese film. But I think that she, you know, because of her, um, I mean, ex- external glamour, for lack of a better word, I think she, her range and kind of eccentricity as an actress has often been underrated. So. Also, that video of her whipping flawlessly every single... The heads off the mannequins. Yes. Yeah, yes. amazing. Yes. Oh, I mean, the things in... she did in that film, that she put a live woman. bird in her mouth and then mm. released it. I mean, it 
the performance Oof, in that film is that's very is, old boy energy yeah it's, it's, it's something yeah. play that trailer and then I'm going to talk about French Exit starring right. Michelle Pfeiffer alright it's all gone every penny what was your plan? My plan was to die before the money ran out, but I kept and keep not dying, and here I am. The hens are clucking. Are they saying I'm broke? They are. What about my apartment in Paris? It's just sitting empty. Have you told your mother about our engagement? We're going to Paris. Would you describe yourself as a coward? No. When I came to Paris, first time Merci beaucoup. something sent up an alert it was the presentiment of what was to come we're going to lie down will you come visit us later and damn on that we are going to jump into a little review mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Take i apologize i apologize in advance for alienating almost every listener but luke is in the house so i'm going to try and meet you on a level so the backstory to French Exit, which I'm reviewing today, begins in 2011 when Owen Wilson time travels through Paris and meets Louis Bunuel. Are we still with me, everyone? Okay. During that unbearable Woody Allen film, there's a scene where Owen pitches an idea to Bunuel that'll supposedly become the exterminating angel. Have we lost our main audience yet? Anyone? Are we still here? Jen? I'm Chime so in. here. I love exterminating angels. It was oh, no. made by some director that I've completely forgotten. But actually, in that very moment when Owen is pitching to Louis Bunuel, what's actually happening is a pseudo-Canadian Cronenberg portal opens, where all film portals begin, and releases screenwriter Patrick Dewitt, who pens a Parisian ghost world movie synthesising Michelle Pfeiffer's acting career into a rich suicide note. If this doesn't sound like Birdman, or if it does, it kind of does, and we'll get into that later, because this film feels like a huge nod to everything that Michelle's done in her past life. It's almost like a Flowers of Evil poem to Catwoman, What Lies Beneath, Mother and Dark Shadows. Luke, how do you feel about that? 100% agree. 100%. All Michelle Pfeiffer movies show her shtick of everything she does as a character study of like aggressively cis women who are human embodiments of like the raspy, powdery side of a cheese grater. It's like you watch her and you just feel so grated and also a bit kind of attacked. Anyway, the movie is about a Grey Garden's wealthy wife who loses all her income and emigrates to Paris because it's where all the best artists go to die. It's funny for using my favourite trope in movies, which is when rich people get stuck in an apartment and can't leave. And also features Lucas Hedges to satisfy the vaguely lesbian Killing Eve stands. Ultimately, I think this movie's beautiful, and I didn't realise that it was shouting out to all of Michelle's roles until afterwards, but that was my takeaway. Luke, you've seen this. I think this. that's strong. Yeah. You think it's strong? Yeah. I disagree with, with her. I mean, I, I totally agree with the, the powdery cheese grater. I have a lot of... <laughs> I mean, maybe that's because that's what my personality on some level is like, but I have a yes. lot of... I have so much... I mean, it's weird. We talked about Michelle, like, being an auntie before. Like, I've just... Like, ever since I was, like, a kid, I just had this, like, identification with her. I feel like... I really had a lot of empathy for her. I mean, it all begins, as with so many people, like watching, you know, the Catwoman performance or whatever, but then this kind of um, frayed, frayed blonde who's slight, who's kind of holding it all together in this glamorous way on the surface, but is kind of crumbling, you know, and it, and, and French Exit absolutely does all of those things. But there are so many little shout-outs to her. I mean, there's the classic Pfeiffer kind of disdainful eye roll, which is a super shtick that she does like mm. no one else, I think. Um, but she does, it's, it's so strange because she is, you know, this affluent kind of white, you know, 
Manhattanite in this film. But you also get a sense that she's an outsider in that community, which I feel like that is the thread through a lot of Michelle's roles, because you don't know... She seems to have lucked into this family, like the the patriarch who's deceased in the film mm. and, and reincarnated in the cat, which is another side plot. But that seems like a... It seems like she came from somewhere else and she's never really fit in and now she's drifting towards the real periphery, which is, you know... Paris. The, yeah, the abyss <laughs> slash Paris. But but you know what? She's got uh, she's got her, her pet, as you called him, Lucas, Lucas Hedges, Hedges in tow. And so things are... I mean, it's, it's, it's an odd film because it does kind of barrel towards this darkness, but it is very sweet and it feels like, you know, to use one of the most hackneyed phrases in all of film writing like it, it is something of a love, love letter to her career as you say totally she's always felt like a meg white in a jack white world yes oh. but you find you found her scary when you first like i think yeah. your hairspray was your first encounter right which i think is a very scary character and absolutely one... i mean she's a she's a racist aging beauty queen who resists change and you know is really catty and unpleasant to you know mm. all the young girls but I mean, it's a very funny performance. It's course. funny. It's yeah, funny. Yeah. And then I think the next one was Mother, where she's uh, um, an uninvited guest who just won't leave uh, mm. in a biblical context. Um, is that a, like a reference to me at this point? In the <laughs> I hope it is. I really <laughs> hope it is. I don't know. Get it's, off the sink. It's the, kind of, it's the kind of thing where I would ask my mom about Michelle and she'd just say femme fatale. And I don't feel like femme fatale is a term that works in the 21st century. No, just... I think, I mean, I think on the surface, yeah, you get a bit of that vibe, but it's not, you know, again, there's there's so many layers to Michelle Pfeiffer, I think. Can I ask the last question and then we'll move on to a track? What is a femme fatale in the 21st century? Because I was having this conversation with my sister yesterday and I kept saying Ladybird, but apparently that doesn't qualify as a femme fatale because she doesn't use her sexuality to get what she wants. I... It's hard. I want to say Kill Bill, maybe? Kill Bill, Jennifer but... Lawrence, maybe? Or maybe she doesn't use her sexuality enough. I think it's. I mean, I think the problem is, as you say, it's such an outdated yeah. trope mm-hmm. for this world that it's. It's not. You know, if you was a femme fatale, it would have to be performed ironically. You know, Completely. Now. Yeah. Or maybe it's a male character. I don't know. Is there a? Is there a... <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, I do feel like Adam Driver is the femme fatale of girls. Right. They do. Stop. Yeah. Actually true. Actually yeah. true. I mean, I said Jenna Maroney from Thirty Rock, but then apparently a femme fatale can't be funny. Ugh, the world we live in. <laughs> and on that, we're going to jump into a bit of Kuyanil right here on FBI. We'll be back with more Movies, Movies, Movies as we get into Spotlight after Angel Shuffle. You're an FBI. Big shout out to everyone texting in on 0409-945-945. It's always a pleasure reading all of your messages. Don't stop. Uh, We're on Movies, 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 and it is time for Spotlight. Spotlight. Now, if you've been listening for the last uh, 15, 20 minutes or so, you'd be hearing a different voice in the room, and that is the voice of Luke. Luke Goodsell. <laughs> Take it away, Andre. <laughs> soul, I love the soul glow sting right there. Film critic curator, I wrote here Michelle Pfeiffer, apologist, but I just feel like we've spoken about Michelle so much, I'm just going to ignore that. Luke's here to promo a special event that... Um, is playing at the AGNSW called Film Series Pop Fictions, or maybe just Pop Fictions. It's, uh, I'll let Luke do the talking, but it's um, kind of like a nod to music movie-themed um, iconic films. Uh, I want to say in the vein of, like, the fame. So it's a selection of films that play with personality and fame and performativity and how it relates to real-life actuality, um, 
downfall. Potentially in a very A Star Is Born kind of way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, A Star Is Born was a jumping off point for the series, as was, you know, a few films at the time. Fox Lux, which mm-hmm. I, you know, I feel like I have to give a shout out to mm. on this show, Every was what in our minds at the time because it's it's this very, you know, it's this down, it's this manufacture, well, kind of transformed pop star who is, you know, uh, turned and then has a, a weird career trajectory. But rambling, but the series is about um, pop fictions, as the title implies. It is about the the ways in which cinema historically has. Uh, I guess reckoned with pop music and tried to recreate pop music in its own image. So we've very much focused on fictional uh, music bands, fictional fictional creations of pop, fictional pop music creations by the cinema. So no, uh, you know, no biopics, no music documentaries. Very much as you say, it's it's playing with the ideas of performance and authenticity, and you know, the kind of that intersection between you know, uh, real life uh, pop icons and their cinematic avatars in many ways. So a lot of these films are uh, sort of, you know, engage with the era, engage with um, real-life pop stars. Some of them are thinly veiled, um, you know, uh, versions of of real-life people. Mm. Every Saturday at 2pm till the 29th of May, tickets are free. It's all the AGNSW. Jen, were there any films that stood out for you that you wanted to bring up? Because Well, I was more thinking about what didn't make it in. Like, did you ever talk about doing the Britney Spears episode of South Park? Or <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's... we we. It's funny because, like, we originally were uh, wanting to do a program where we played short, like, shorts before. But it's, it's kind of a rights issue, right? So um, at the moment, we, you know, are... Well... This is yeah, it's off the record, but yeah, we we we're we, it's, it's a lot of difficulty. Like there were films that we wanted to get that we couldn't get because we didn't, you know, there was it was like who holds the rights to this film and or it's it's unavailable. But yeah, there were we thought about some some kind of strange things, but it it actually took a like a lot of searching and roaming to distill to the final eight. Also, we had eight films, so we had to choose an arbitrary point. Like we're going to start in the late sixties and go you know, for kind of cover the last mm-hmm. like five decades. But, you know, we could have gone before yeah. that. So. I, oh, I just want to chime in here. Yeah. I haven't double-checked the dates of each film and when they were released, but I'm guessing that none of them were released during the social media age, which was interesting to me because Vox Lux, as a starting point, is a music movie that um, reckons with how social media shapes and interacts with the world and pop music at the same time and how they kind of collide together for sure um i mean with fox lux when we we because this this program's actually been delayed by the pandemic so when we were coming up with it vox lux was a brand new film which Mm -hmm. kind of in many ways like sparked our ideas like oh this is we should be thinking about this and now of course it's 2021 fox lux is well it's passe slash cult classics so we could have actually put it in the series you know Mm. um maybe it'll be a bonus screening week Oh, but I agree, us. it's interesting because, like, I mean, the most recent film is Mia Hansen Loves Eden, which is 2014, but it is about French house music from the 90s through the early 20th century. And then there's Gus Van Sant's Last Days, which is 2004, but oh. it, or 2005. But again, it's it's about, you know, the early 90s. So, tech, like, realistically, the last film in a contemporary sense was Josie and the Pussycats, which is 2001. So that's <sighs> just before, you know, it's it's kind of just before social media... 2.0, like, takes off. So. Which of the series would you recommend to anyone who's just binged all the Demi Lovato documentary? <laughs> That's a good question. Dark, dark answer, but probably Last Days, Last to be days. honest. Last Days, I was going to say that too. Last, yeah. da- Last Days is kind of how you'll feel after the documentary, just, like, walking around in the rain, slowly, quietly, silently. I want to end the segment on a question to everyone. 
how do we feel about Leos character's new movie that's a musical with Adam Driver potentially singing? I'm very excited. Excited? I, yes. That could have been an addition to Pop Fictions if it had it come out. could be, yeah. Yeah. For the next iteration. Adam next Driver iter- needs to work with more femme fatales. <laughs> Truly! <laughs> what the hell? As the femme, femme fatale. He, As yeah. the femme fatale. <laughs> what, if, what if Lady Gaga in the new Gucci movie series is going to be... I knew it was going to come up. I knew we were going to talk about Lady Gaga and Gucci the second we talked about Stanley Tucci for Gucci. (laughs) Tucci for Gucci. Tucci for Gucci. we got to just remind everyone, it's every Saturday at 2pm till the 29th of May at the AGNSW. Am I the only person that says AGNSW? No, I say AGNSW. Okay, good. good. Uh, This this week is, this Saturday is uh, Todd Haynes' Velvet Goldmine. Which is, yeah, one of the greats. So that's, I think, I'll be there because I haven't seen it on the big screen. (laughs) Andre and I walked out of a very boring Q&A of that film with uh, Todd... No. With Todd and Richard Linklater. It was Todd and Richard Linklater. Oh, really? Mm, yes. You, oh, damn. Who was boring? Was it Linklater? Or? You'd be surprised. Linklater, Linklater was, was boring. for oh, Todd. Okay. Yeah. We'll leave it at that. We'll save the Richard beef for next week or for in two weeks. Thank you so much for listening. Head over to the AGNSW website to check out film series Pop Fictions. There are a bunch of beautiful critics who are going to be introducing each film each week, yes. which is exciting. And you get to have an excuse to go to the AGNSW, which I'm sure people haven't been to in like a year. True. Probably true. true. Luke, thank you so much for coming through. Thank it's you so much for having me. Absolute so pleasure. Fun. Yeah. Also, a big shout out to first time texter on 0409-945-945. Andre and Jen love the show. More French accents, please. Oh. oh. Andre, go. Speak in French. Michel, Luke, Goodsell, <laughs> Pop Fictions. <laughs> You can listen back to Movies, Movies, Movies wherever you get your podcasts from. Just look up FBI Radio and MMM will be there. Check out the gang on Instagram and you can also listen back. Catch all the deets at fbiradio.com slash programs. Jen and Andre will be back in a fortnight. This right here is A Little Bit Evil by Jess Locke. My name is Maya Billick. You're on Mornings. This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.